0: With the clock advancing to 1961, that meant something fantastic was on the horizon for comics. For now, though, we return to the challengers of the unknown. Kirby had left their hidden base in the Rockies, and their writers switched almost as often as their antagonists. Time would tell whether the challengers could
1: hold it together. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start. Do every reversible finish. Ah, it's gonna be... It's gonna be a weird, wacky, wild ride here with the Challengers of the Unknown. We've got some some really interesting stuff to talk about. Not like, ooh, fancy. It's just like, these are weird... Kind of weird stories, after Mm -hmm. all that we've been kind of looking at. And frankly according to my showcase volume they're all uncredited writings so i don't know if you know so i i only know as far as dc
0: wikia uh but we do enter a period of intense instability uh let me actually bring up my notes because it's actually three different writers and it's it's not great uh So reminder that Jack Kirby had penciled issues one through eight. And I think he was doing mostly the writing from like, I think, issue three on. Uh, And then in the stuff that we're covering, it's David Wood is writing, Jack Schiff is editing, and Bob Brown is on pencils. And we also get guest star writing from Arnold Drake and Ed Heron. Okay.
1: No names of which I recognize. (laughs) Ed Heron, I think we've seen a couple times, um, but that's about it, um, Mm. so yeah, we're just, we're just gonna jump right into this, because I think we just want to discuss it a little bit more, you know, and, uh, it shouldn't be too, too long, uh, Joanne, so, you know, keep the clock running, uh, we're going from 1961 to 1962, like I said, we're catching up, you know, all of the, the books now with the JLA, so that we can move ahead and move ahead, um, but Challengers of the Unknown, number 18, February, March, 1961. It's the first appearance of Cosmo, the Challenger space pet. So Cosmo is like a kangaroo raccoon sort of a thing. You know, physically. I hadn't thought
0: about the kangaroo side, but uh, definitely there's a little bit of rocket in him.
1: Yeah, there's a, he's, he's got a little bit of a little squirmy sort of marsupial look to him. Um, but the Challengers find a capsule that crash lands in the ocean, they extract it inside his Cosmo, and they gather from the myriad of minds amongst the Challengers that he's like a chimp that the, you know, U.S. shoots into space, and he's just there and wounded, so Jane and the rest of the Challengers, you know, nurse him back to health, and with Cosmo's fantastic abilities of, you know, disintegration, levitation, and shielding, Um, They stop some more crooks. So now they've got basically a, you know, deus ex machina pet. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's, he's, you know, cute, doesn't really have like a noise or anything like that that he makes, but he's just Cosmo, the space creature. Wow, they really don't have a sound effect. You're right. Like mm-hmm. in
0: retrospect, I would have expected like a zzz or something, like yeah. some kind of or like a ca- chittering. You know what it is? I expected an animal catchphrase.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's what I did too. Like like a chittering or something like that. Or but nope, no catchphrase for the animal. Just a, uh, you know, silence and violence. The cut. Ca- <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is. You're he's, not wrong. I mean, he's just a he's a super powered marsupial thing uh maybe kind of like a possum i don't know he stands up on his back legs a little (laughs) bit and looks like a kangaroo anyway um the second story in challengers number 18 the challengers are teleported to the future to stop a threat that is there and they do because they're the challengers of the unknown uh also we get a little bit of a tidbit of information challenger mountain where their home base is is in the rockies so they're based out of colorado uh challengers number 19 april may 1961 uh aliens escaping a dying land or dying world land on earth and the criminals amongst their you know number decide that "Ah, we'll just take over this planet and use it as our own now that we've destroyed it as opposed to finding a suitable uninhabited planet that would you know suit their needs um the aliens had like transmitted their essence into energy and put them on like tapes in a weird sort of like technological noah's ark sort of a situation and it's kind of cool Mm. but that's really the big gimmick of the story uh, the second uh, story in this is a temple robber gets a gem that allows him to summon creatures when light shines through the gem, and the challengers stop him by just shining light through the gem at the creatures, and it makes them go away. It's a very cut and dry, stupid story. After all this sci-fi, and uh, I don't know, like I was like very disappointed by this like nameless, you know, plunderer who just decided he was going to be a bad guy, and the challengers defeat him pretty soundly. Uh, Challengers number 20, uh, June, July 1961, The Return of Multiman. Remember that guy who, every time he died, he got a new superpower and came back to life? And then the last time he died, he was so smart, he knew that he wouldn't get another superpower if he died. That was the catch. Uh, Yeah, he's back, and uh, he escaped jail and decided that he was going to get technology with his new super smart brain, to mimic the other abilities that he had that made him so formidable against the challengers of the the unknown, and uh, does so, and then the challengers stop him, because they're better than he is. In, like, the dumbest rock-paper-scissors tournament ever, it's just like, we're just better and smarter than you are, even though you're super smart, and we will defeat you, multi-man. We have the second story there is an astronaut who crash-lands on Earth, gives off, you know, Secondary cosmic radiation that mutates a bunch of animals around him, and the challengers must stop the side affected animals until the radiation wears off because that's just what happens. Like, they don't have to invent a machine or a serum or anything. It's just like, nah, it'll wear off eventually, <laughs> which is like the most anticlimactic solution to that. Uh, challengers number two. Uh, oh, was
0: it that? I thought it was like they had washed it off of the uh, off of the. Sp- astronaut suit and for some reason that the fact that it had been washed away meant that all the depower everything sort of depowered you know what i would cut off from like its power source
1: i wouldn't i wouldn't be surprised if you were right that does kind of sound familiar to me but these were so hastily written and hastily mm-hmm. delivered that I just I couldn't bring myself to care too much about the minutiae of the plot. So uh, not wrong. Uh, I mean, I mean, to take your pick as to which one's le- more disappointing and less satisfying or more satisfying and most disappointing for you. Either it wears off over time or washing the source of the mutation away causes the rest of the tangential mutations to stop, which everyone makes you sad <laughs> OK,
0: I do kind of want to like tangent off that, though, because I find that just kind of tripped my brain a little bit. How cool would it be if Spider-Man had to keep the spider like as a pet forever to keep his powers? to
1: like, you know, I mean, it's the same principle as like the elongated man. Ralph has to keep drinking Gingold. That is true. You know, so and what was it? The uh, hour man, Rex Tyler, had to keep taking Miraclo pills because the pills would get he would lose his powers in an hour. Yep. So it's not an unheard of mechanic. I mean, like I I would be interested in a Spider-Verse multiverse character who had to keep the spider biting them consistently.
0: Yeah, I fully agree. Like, I think especially as a what if it would work well Uh, or not even a what if, but like uh, what was it? Uh, Marvel 1602, I think it was.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. 1692? Spider-Man Noir, something like that. You know, one of those, one of those like multiverse elseworld sort of properties that was just like, what if Spider-Man had to keep getting bit? And you're like, I don't know. I never really thought about that. But sure. Yeah. Take me down that road, I guess. That's, oh, that's
0: interesting. Like, not just he has <laughs> to keep the spider around, but has to keep getting bit. Yeah. Like, I'm in, I'm imagining, like, a Mecha-style launch sequence. Like, tap, da, tap, tap, uh, release spider, spider just shots of the, the fangs going in. Spider-Man, go!
1: Or, like, he just agitates a spider around his belt, and it bites him. He's like, okay, now I can be Spider-Man. Like, he's just, like, pissing off a spider consistently. <laughs> <laughs> that feels a lot truer to the character. Right. All right, we're going to go to Challengers number 21, August, September 1961. June and a group of filmmakers, basically Tropic Thunder, the Challengers of the Unknown. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's the plot. I mean, like, they, they fake being a bunch of people that need help and get the Challengers to fight a bunch of staged situations. The Challengers don't know that they're staged or fake. Until Rex kind of figures out some things aren't necessarily, I don't know, space-agey, I guess is the term. Like, he can see a wristwatch under one guy's, like, glove, and he realizes that the woman that is approaching them is just June in makeup. And it kind of, like, falls apart halfway through, and the the filmmaker's like, Damn, I really thought you guys were dumb enough to not see through this, but... Um, yeah, we were just trying to make a really realistic action film and you guys got to fuck that up. So I guess now we've got to make a normal, boring movie. And what they don't realize is that in the midst of making what is the largest LARP campaign ever, a bunch of criminals (laughs) have found like the the cachet of weapons and crap that these guys made for the movie and are now using all the technology that they developed to actually commit crimes. And the challengers have to stop these guys who've just stumbled upon the greatest assemblage of, you know, Disney Imagineering and THX and Lucas, you know, Lucasfilm and ILM creations that they're going to use for crime. <laughs>
0: and honestly, that's the bit that, I, I feel bad saying strain my credulity because these are stories that are not meant to be credulous. Yeah. But the fact that this reasonably well funded uh, movie project had not just really like w- looking like they work props, but had like
1: dangerous props.
0: Re- like dangerous props and actually working props like hey here's like something that looks like an alien craft that spins on a like top point and it really does stay up and there really are guns on it what's yeah.
1: going on here why yeah, yeah you gotta um, you gotta think that they got really lazy in the in the costuming department wherein they're gonna make an actual death machine but they're not gonna double check that their extras are wearing wrist watches under their gloves oh good point you know, you, you're, you're competent enough to make really convincing sets, but your makeup is easily something that we can see through, and your your cast members are easily discerned as not really where they're from. It seems like they spent a lot of money in the wrong places. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, kids, spread out your funding. Yeah, it was a misappropriation of funds there. Um, we're going to go to the second story of Challengers, number 21, uh, Zardoc. Question mark? I think we've seen this guy before in Challengers. I can't remember, but they're acting like we've seen him before. Um, I was wondering. I, I honestly, it's not worth caring about, but this is a named villain. <laughs> um, Zardok is a magician, I guess. Question mark? Who has a, a helmet that has like a fancy stone on the top of it? And when he uses the stone, it kind of allows him to do like levitation and telekinesis, and also summoning creatures out of his imagination to fight people. Kind of overpowered. Want to know the stats on that, but I'm not really going to question it. Um, Cosmo just kicks his butt. Yeah. The space marsupial wins. And you know what? For being a mascot creature, that's one point in his favor right there being one overpowered and two actually stopping the villain. But I will say this, sir. You are no Topo. All right. Oh, I miss him. Topo performed surgery on Aquaman. All right, Cosmo, Cosmo saved the day and saved the Challengers, which is no small feat. But Topo has done much more in the span of his existence in the Silver Age than Cosmo has. I t- I'm just pointing that out. If we're if we're counting animal sidekicks right here, <sighs> Topo is better than Cosmo. I will not enter, uh, you know, crypto into this equation despite mm. that Crypto was able to fend off one of the bizarros at a certain point because we just haven't seen a lot of Crypto. But I imagine Crypto has done way more than both of these characters in both Superboy and Superman comics. But we we'll deal with that when we get to it. Uh, the second to last uh, issue that we're going to cover here, Challengers, number 22, October, November, 1961. The Challengers fake a curse to entrap two guys who are trying to steal gold from a jungle civilization. Uh, that is you know cut off from most technology it seems to be an indigenous population that lives in the jungle much like an amazon uh, tribe that has not seen technology they just seem to be people who live in the jungle and have a particular affinity towards this religion system that they have based around gold and these two characters are pretending that they're under the influence of a, a creature that makes them steal gold which these individuals the civilization has a large quantity of and the challengers i guess pretend to also be affected by the the deity that these uh that this civilization or this town i I don't know if tribe is the right word um worships and they fake it so well that the guys who are faking it themselves think it's real (laughs) And they're like, oh, thank God the challengers are affected. Now we can stop faking it and go and get steal all the gold. And the challengers, of course, you know, entrap them and stop them. And I'm sorry if that all got a little, like, wordy or ham-fisted there. Because I was trying very hard to, like, not be- refer to this colony, tribe, civilization, you know, town, village in negative ways. Because the Silver Age has a has a bad habit of you know, broken Englishing or dumbing down indigenous populations that are found in jungles by any of the heroes, suggesting that these are like simple people or that they need their help or they're easily hoodwinked. And I feel like that's like a really not nice thing to do. So I was trying to be as respectful (laughs) as I could, (laughs) even though, one, it's fake because it's written in a comic book. But two, I feel like it's important to, you know, speak of it the correct way as you would a a real living group of people that would be living like this and be respectful in that regard because you just should be. Uh, The second story... A space criminal who collects living things, basically knock off Brainiac, um, tries to <laughs> tries to is. steal the Challengers and they kick his butt. Um, because a, a creature or a being of his own species finds him. He's like, oh, this guy's a dick. And then stops him. Uh, Challengers...
0: Wait, which, which was the... God, I'm getting it mixed up. Uh, there was a character we read one issue of from the Golden Age, and then there was an entirely different version of once we got into the Silver Age. That was basically that, like Batman and some alien. Which one was it?
1: Martian it Manhunter. Felt like that.
0: What? Oh wow, yeah,
1: yeah. It was like some wow, weird yeah. dude with like yeah. some like weird like guy with a jetpack, and then uh, he was like a policeman that was hunting a Martian on Earth, and then. In the Silver Age, he was Jean-Jean's.
0: Yeah. Good memory. Yeah. Uh, and it feels, it felt very much like that, where the real powerhouse of the uh, story was the alien and the yeah. tech that they have. And it just sort of like, oh, I have tech that handles this.
1: Yeah. It, it very much was the Challenger's not doing a whole hell of a lot and basically mm. stalling the alien species for their own kind to stop them, which is a good segue into Challengers number 23, December, January 1961-1962. Happy New Year. The Challengers fight Bert Langdon, who I guess is also a guy that is from the previous issues. Again, question mark. Um, And he is trying to use the Doom Box, which is uh, just a machine created to destroy things. And the Challengers, of course, stop him. Um, The last story, Zog. An evil alien, sound familiar, uh, takes over an observation ship to try and conquer Earth. Sound familiar? Oh, look, we've recycled two plots here. In both alien plots, good aliens have been a part of the group that have been overthrown, that have a technology that can hurt humans, and they help the humans overthrow their bad counterparts, showing that the aliens aren't bad guys.
0: Yeah, good call. I hadn't made that connection that it was that heavily recycled.
1: So, yeah, because you've got the like the Noah's Ark situation where the guys are like, oh, we're really sorry that like, you know, our the shitty criminals from our our, our race decided they were going to mess around with your with your planet here. Let's help you. And the other was the um was obviously uh, the police officer hunting down the guy who collected, you know, living creatures. And then this one was there was the good people on the observation platform that were just observing Earth. Trying to help, you know, the Challengers uh, overthrow Zog and his men who had taken it to use it to conquer Earth. So, yeah, they recycled it three times, which was hilarious. Not to mention, however, the Challengers are also the group of guys who got picked up in that Interstellar Circus and worked together with a group of different aliens to overthrow the Circus Masters.
0: Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is actually a little interesting that for such a grounded team, at least for the team members, they are 100% going full sci-fi bullshit.
1: Yeah, and, and to their credit, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's not exactly... Look, I hesitate to say this isn't as bad as Gardner Fox, because Gardner Fox has definitely gotten better. If we look at Gardner Fox's work now, where we're at in the in the comics as far as Adam Strange and Hawkman goes. He's much better than these. He's still Gardner Mm -hmm. Foxing with some stupid stuff occasionally and hand-waving a lot of really dumb things. But that seems to come into play much more in Justice League than it does the really sci-fi heavy books that he's writing. Mm -hmm. So really what I'm seeing is the second Kirby left, things got a little lost. Because Kirby and Julius Schwartz were having the problems. We discussed this in the last episode we talked about with the challengers. And that's why uh, Kirby leaves the book and we have all these different artists now. He's no longer writing and drawing them. So Kirby left the the company and they're trying to put people on these to do something with this group of people. Um, None of these are terrible. None of these are worse than Martian Manhunter. They're also Mm -hmm. not the same level of bad as Martian Manhunter, but they're also not impressive. You know, they're not wowing us like Green Lantern or Flash. They're not anything interesting like the Atom. Uh, Adam Strange is kind of meh. um, And Hawkman is is, like both Hawkman and Adam Strange are like, oh, these are interesting, but they're not like, oh my God, I would say Hawkman is probably the the best out of those two. Yeah. but Challenger seems to be really struggling with a like what are we doing here kind of a vibe. We have a we have a pet now. June is much more involved with them. Uh June is in almost every story, I think at this point now. Um and it's very much kind of like they've stopped really referring to her as the honorary member. It's the Challengers and June. So she's just there. Um she very much does however fulfill the role of girl. So it is it is a bummer that she has kind of fallen by the wayside in the very Silver Age theme of female characters who just by virtue of being female are a character. Um, that is that is their thing. You know, I am woman and that is my my defining trait. She doesn't really have like you know a job or anything that's really important, or she doesn't have like a specific skill set. Like you know, um, Rocky's the strong man and Red is the mountain climber. She's just June, and it's like okay. The challengers do seem to be a little bit more animated, a little bit more, not jokey, but they're like, gee, boys, or come on, fellas, you know, they're a lot more uh, good old boy fighting team um, than they were previously. And uh, I think that's very interesting because the pairings are a lot more frequent, you know, a lot of different pairings, you know, Ace and Rocky mm-hmm. and the Prof and Red uh, or they'll interchange with like, you know, uh, Red and Rocky go away and Prof and Ace are teaming up or, you know, and, and you have the different dynamics because they all know different things. And they have different specialties. So you're like, oh, how are these two characters going to get out of it? But we're seeing that done better in JLA because there's actual real flavors there's actual real differences in those characters because their powers are so different versus these are four guys who are pretty much identical they're just different flavors of the same guy it's you know vanilla vanilla bean and you know french vanilla and you know something else you know or dairy free vanilla and you're like they're the same person they just taste weirdly different and it's because they're made differently and but they're all just four white guys who are really good at everything Except one can swim, one can climb things, one's a little bit stronger than the others, and one can pilot. Yeah. So I think that's going to be it for summary.
0: I've got a decent number of small notes and one or two like mid sized. All right. Uh, in general, I'll agree. Um, the way I'd sort of evaluated these after reading them was. They're not bad stories, but they're not memorable. That was the one that the bit that I kind of mm. latched on to. Mm-hmm. There are very few bits of this that are I'm just like, oh yeah, okay, that really stuck out to me. Like I I was going through and some of the things that I would normally like latch on to, uh, my go-tos, just nothing special there. Like uh, we don't have we don't have like any of the whimsy. This is more of the kind of pulp ish action e uh serious stuff so you don't have the things that normally great with me of well okay great this is uh gee willikers uh whiz bang uh like stuff you get from action comics it's treated with some seriousness which is my happy place but it's it's not executed so strongly or impactfully that it stands out. It's just, all right, well, yeah, you did a solid job of making me, make me believe there was a, a threat there. All right, cool. Page turn. Uh, the fact that the, uh, uh, the characters and the world are not being built out. Like we get the addition of Cosmo, but Cosmo comes in and then it's another three issue, or I think it's, Not the next issue, but the issue after that that he next appears in and only for one of the two stories. We don't get an immediate uh, Doi B. Dickles situation where Cosmo comes in and then he's part of the cast every time. We're not really building out a supporting cast with the exception of June. Uh, We're not getting a world. We're just getting these monsters of the week, which, again, ain't bad, but it means there's nothing memorable there. The monsters and aliens are like they have some moments of cool. I kind of like some of the designs. Like, I'm always a fan for like three eyed aliens, and we get those with the uh, the aliens who digitize themselves onto the Noah's Ark situation. But I mean, fundamentally, that's just hey, there's three eyed aliens. It's not a design that sticks with me in part because they don't come back, uh, so we don't get repeated exposure. These, These are just solid like I read them fairly quickly I read them in one sitting and I I wasn't angry or frustrated by the end like I have been with some of the worst ones it's just
1: yeah well this is a page turner yeah it's it turns it's, out
0: if you turn the page enough then you reach the end
1: yeah it's popcorn it's going to see mm-hmm. it's going to see an action movie and not being impressed or disappointed you're just like yes that was an action movie and one of the things that's a little interesting is that for being so
0: middle of the road, at least as we're viewing it now, this there, they've got a solo book. Like yeah. there are two stories and it's just them. And then the little like two, uh, single page, like gag comics that we always have and like a one page short story. But this is the equivalent of Batman or detective comics being just Batman. Uh,
1: yeah, and
0: I'm amazed that they have that and they're not even superheroes like uh, they're not even riding the wave of, hey, this is like a superhero story. I'd be really curious to see like I didn't look at the sales figures for challengers. It I would be amazed if it was that high, but
1: yeah, they're I getting can't, a solo book I can't imagine and, it, and we're reading
0: be. issue 23. Yeah, yeah, they're like it's gone for a while. But, but, <laughs> you
1: bring up a good point though there you know with the, with regards to like it being action oriented and action specific, I'm wondering if this is very much what sergeant Rock was like mm. mm, and maybe that's where they're kind of getting this feel so i'm I'm actually right now on the d c universe app trying to see if I can find some sergeant rock, yeah um. And if we could maybe look at that for a while and just kind of see, like, because, I mean, we wanted to. We just couldn't get the uh, the comic. But it's one of those things where if we, if we could get it and we can, I think we should look at that um, and compare what a action-centric, action-specific kind of title would be like, you know, geared only for, you know, the popcorn kind of a thing. And I think that, I think what we would find is it would be very much in the vein of challenges of the unknown. But I think to your point, yeah. How is this so successful? <laughs> how is this book no. specifically with how mediocre it is? So successful. And
0: actually to backtrack, uh, couple sentences because the i like the sergeant rock comparison i would and in general i want to read sergeant rock because that is absolutely a blind spot in my comics history but i bet that we get a lot more distinct characterization even at this time because i would bet good money that they're doing the god what was the other group that uh oh uh blackhawks yeah there's the black where they had like oh there's there's the french guy there's the italian guy and the the stereotypical national uh like characters uh coming through a little bit more like i bet you absolutely Mm. have like sergeant rock has the machine gunner there's the french foreign legionnaire i bet there's something like that i don't know that for sure but i'm i would bet
1: good money yeah and i well yeah i mean i think that would probably be also with uh you know haunt you know haunted tank or whatever ghost tank whatever it was oh god
0: that's right (laughs) which we've
1: we've decided that doesn't exist but yeah you know i think i think you're absolutely right with with regards to that um and it and it would be something that we should look at if we can ever find it
0: uh let's see what else um scooby-doo plots like yeah i want to i want to call this out because it's interesting like uh Cosmo's first story is he shows up at a time where there are a bunch of criminals trying to scare the to scare the gang away from their island hideout uh, and having a lot of those like, oh, there are traps, this place is haunted, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then later on there's sort of the inverse Scooby-Doo, I guess, where the... Uh, where the gang, where the challengers pretend that they're affected by the the curse of the local golden deity, uh, and use that to lure out the uh, the two crooks. Like, there's definitely a little bit more of. For all that, so many of these are sci-fi bullshit, and I mean bullshit in the most loving way possible. But there's a strain of sci-fi bullshit, but there's also a strain of very mundane rote criminality
1: yeah <laughs> yeah you're right it's a lot of relief really, it's yeah it's a lot of like buck rogers fighting a mobster
0: yeah and i'll actually go a step further like how crazy is it that in cosmo's introduction story is against mobsters pretending to be a curse
1: yeah it's not like the the species that launched him into space and treated him poorly have come to collect him, and Cosmo has to, you know, decides to stay with the challengers. It's like here's a bunch of like hoodlums to to beat up that you could feel morally okay about. Can can we just get a retelling of Airbud
0: with Cosmo? Yes, like the angry clown. And yeah, yeah, well, absolutely. He, the by by human age uh this dog is old enough to make its own
1: choice no rule there's no rule there ain't no no rule it says a dog can't play basketball literally probably any rule in that in that book would would tell you sir (laughs) literally (laughs) literally you shouldn't do this
0: uh so i mentioned a little bit ago uh these store these issues have uh little short stories in them uh little one pagers prose uh It's interesting. These ones specifically tend to be a little darker in interesting ways, and it it really continues through that theme, that tone of being a little more serious, a little more like space pulp than sort of like action adventure pulp. Uh, And one of the stories, uh, I don't, I think this is from, yeah, this is from issue eighteen. It's like it's illustrative that this is a very different tone of <clears throat> comic as a whole because it's about a spy who impersonates an american uh major uh who is going to be going up in a test flight of like a, a not quite a space shuttle but definitely something that goes way up there and he gets in there and successfully impersonates him. Gets in the ship. <laughs> definitely launches.
1: something that goes way up there. <laughs> yeah. It literally could be anything, man. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, it definitely has a, a button hot air for balloon. Light. It it has a button for orbital positioning, okay. which. He realizes after, like, he flips a bunch of buttons of just, like, get me super high up so that I can come back down in, (laughs) like, neutral territory or something and sell this thing. And then he realizes with horror that, oh, no, I got myself out of, like, out of fuel and I am somewhere up in space. I don't know how to get back. I am marooned in space and I'm going to die here. And that's just the end of the story. It's like, well, this guy stole a ship, went into space and is never coming back. Was it the Twilight Zone? What the hell happened there? (laughs) It had that feel, you know? It has that, like, oh, the camera, like, pulls away uh, as we see that this guy is never going to survive. Time enough
1: at last to die in space. (laughs) There's always time for death in space. Of course. Uh, Let's see
0: what else. Uh, Oh, this one... (laughs) This one just felt weird. Uh, So we have the aliens who do the Noah's Ark thing. And they get digitized onto tapes. Yeah. And, you know, absolutely. Like, that's the technology of the time. They're using tapes. Like, that is what you feed into a computer. But it absolutely blew my mind to think about the... A society that has the technological advances to be able to digitize, which we think of as super high tech, although like we also pretend it's like within the next 30 years, which I would be amazed, uh, but it be on tapes like it. I suppose I suppose it would be about as strange to say like on uh, like a DVD or on a CD player. Like, we've gone through a lot of storage media in the past, our generation, yeah. but Tate specifically was just like, no, 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 like, give me uh, hypercrystals or something.
1: Yeah, literally any any medium that was made up that that wasn't so terrestrial.
0: Especially because, like... At this time, people were extremely aware of the limitations of tapes as a storage medium. These days, it feels like we're pretty—we we don't think about the limitations of storage media right now, be it uh, high density uh, like DVDs uh, or cloud storage or just whatever the hell is in my phone right now. I don't know what I use for storage. We don't <laughs> think about that so much. Like we don't know. We, we we can put a lot on there, but man, you you talk about a situation where you're literally feeding tapes into something and you can't fit more than however many calculations on something. Like you are like imagining that that would be the media that you could trans you could digitize people into like that just it strains my credulity. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bridge too far. That being said, I did like that portion of the story. Like for all that these are short stories, like these are 14-12 pagers I think. Uh I and they don't have like a uh, ongoing world. Like I really did like oh these are aliens. They digitized a bunch of their population, and there are like these three left over. One of which turns out to be a criminal. All right, yeah, I'm done with that. Okay, they've digitized all manner of things. Like they got a they got a rocket launcher out of the uh, digitized stuff. But and yeah, like right. Yeah, I'm done with this. <laughs> Let's see what else. What else? Um, Multi Man. I was kind of glad that they. Continued the multi-theme at least a little bit by having him try to replicate those powers through technological means. Uh, I still think that his original setup was the most interesting of uh, his power changes every time he dies. That is quite morbid,
1: but it's also really interesting. I mean, um, it's, it's like a reincarnation kind of idea but with all the mysticism and spirituality stripped of it. Yeah. Uh, The other thing it
0: feels like is like a card or strategy game where you have to intentionally not play certain things or take certain actions because it would trip some reaction that the other player or enemy has that then leads to a net benefit of just like okay well I can't play all my cards this turn because they have something that triggers on the fifth card or something like that
1: right it's it's almost like a uh you remember the game rogue legacy yeah it's like that <laughs> where it's like a randomly generated power per life <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah um, yeah that's fair also just this is this is strange i just remembered this while you were while you were talking um the idea that they are men who are who have like run out of time has completely evaporated from their th- from their like oh like I hype and mythos. that was part
0: of their shtick
1: right oh wow men living on yeah. borrowed time that's like never been touched or that's never to be seen or heard from again <laughs> All right, yeah, I completely forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, That's I mean, you would too after like nearly 20 something issues if never talking about like watches and or how we're like cuz that was the whole reason they were doing any of this. Yeah. Was they like we're we're men living on borrowed time. We might as well do like the most crazy shit we can think of and then that just never mattered anymore. They're just doing this now for the for the pure love of the game. <laughs> like <laughs> Good memory. I had completely
0: forgotten about that. You know what I will never be able to forget, though? Segway. Ooh, Uh, One of the uh, mutated animals is uh, when when the astronaut has some contamination on the spacesuit and the animals get mutated. There's a lion with uh, wings. There's something else. And there is an orca with arms and legs.
1: Hell yeah. Free Willy has gotten jacked. (laughs) You're not wrong. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's just kind of a moment. It's
0: it's a visual. He looks I like have, a SpongeBob SquarePants character. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, let's see. What else? Yeah, um, what did you have oh, written down? What did you have written down? That is a fucking visual. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I want to call out. It's a bit ironic. Uh, so in this same story... Uh, two of the challengers get contaminated by the stuff that's on uh, the astronaut armor and astronaut suit.
1: Why do you call it armor? Uh, Same thing, really. It's just less plate looking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the powers they get are
0: a little interesting and the characters that get them are a little interesting because it is. I want to say this comes out in June of 1961. Fantastic Four comes out in November of 1961. And it's a bit ironic that this story has Ace getting flying flying and glowing powers. Not fire, but glowing and flying. And Rocky gets uh, gigantism and super strength. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. It, the timing is too close for it to be. like. I would be amazed if it were actually like Jack Kirby saying, Oh, let me take
1: that idea and run with it. But it's a coincidence. That's a tea time coincidence, I think. You know, we're talking about that over golf, and now suddenly your company has that. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. All right. My one like heftier thing that I want to cover, because this is something that I found interesting. So let's talk for a minute about the design of the Challenger's jet. Okay. So it's got like a retro future look. It's got the uh, like it looks like the spaceship and the birthday card that I got is like a six year old. Yes. It's got the snub nose that's hollow. It's like a Viper from Battlestar Galactica. That whole thing where it's got like the mm-hmm. air mm-hmm. intake in the front for
1: no reason. So in space. I was
0: <laughs> that one specifically like, well, actually, Vipers were supposed to be able to fly in uh, atmosphere, right? Oh, I, really? don't, I, I don't I couldn't tell you. I should rewatch that series. I got halfway through the finale and I never finished it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> like I went away, i got halfway through the finale, had some event to go to. And then when I, I, I just never picked it up afterwards. Anyways. Um, so I dug into that design. Turns out that from the perspective of speed, that hollow body is pretty optimal. Mm-hmm. It's the air intake for the jet engine. That was the standard design when jet fighters were still slower than the speed of sound. Uh, which was the case at this point, uh, when they got faster or at least, uh, mostly the case, I think it's through like right about this time. I think there were ones coming out that were moving away from that design. Uh, once they got faster than the speed of sound, they needed something to slow the air to subsonic speeds so that they wouldn't wreck the machinery. So you mostly got like a hollow body with a spike in the middle. Because that would like, break up the speed enough that you don't get like supersonic air coming through and just ripping your stuff to shreds. Once radar st- starts getting integrated into individual fighter jets, though, radar needed to be in the very front of the plane so it wasn't blocked by anything. And in order for that to happen, the air intake needs to happen somewhere else. It can't be in the very front. So that's why the F-16 uh, has the air intake under the nose. Hmm. And the F-14, best known for Top Gun, uh, has that archetypal look of the two air intakes on either side of the nose.
1: Hmm.
0: So I just sort of found that one interesting. Like I never understood like that hollow body of early jet fighters and it makes sense that that sort of became associated with spaceships from that era and then retro designs sort of pulling from that going forward. And now you all do too. Surprise aeronautics (laughs)
1: lesson. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Uh, Although it's still weird that the uh, Viper has that design because uh, Galactica came out in, I think, 78, 79? Late 70s, early 80s. Yeah um so cosmo uh one thing i want to put some emphasis on uh earlier you call him a little bit of a deus ex machina and especially in his first appearance that is 100 percent the case like hey this thing's happening uh here's this obstacle cosmo has exactly this hidden power that we didn't know about that now solves the problem that's yep. a little less the case in his second appearance. Uh, it's a little more like he does a thing and then the challengers need to take advantage of it to solve the problem. But absolutely, like he is hyper-powered and in that first appearance, he is absolutely the machine of the gods solving the problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? Um, this is, this is c- kind of tangential, but I found it interesting. Uh, a lot of these comics specifically... Have and also, like, not so much Adam Strange and uh uh, Hawkman, but like Justice League and Action Comics have a lot of like old things reactivating. Like, oh, Wonder Woman discovered that there's someone who can control the old sphinxes and has been brought back to life. Um, that feels a lot like the archetypal D&D campaign, Mm. where there is a world full of old things to be explored, old threats being reactivated, uh, things like that. A lot of old stuff coming back. Whereas, I think of, at least for modern comics, in in the very modern age, we tend to deal a little more with emergent threats, uh, or a existing threat that develops in new ways uh luther comes up with a new scheme uh or a new alien species comes on the picture uh that feels like that's more what happens these days rather than something old that comes back to haunt generally
1: or, or if it is old, but, it's, like, eons old. It's, like, the birth of the universe old. It's never, like, you know, the Sphinx or, like, you know, 12 generations back. You know, it's it's always, like, before time immemorium. Yeah, it's never a... Uh, it's always, like, an elemental force of the universe as opposed to, like, a lost civilization.
0: Yeah, or it's old but personally old, like... We get to know another element of Logan's backstory yeah. as compared to, hey, Atlantis.
1: Yeah, or or like um, in, in Hal Jordan, the Green Lantern Corps. Actually, no, I think this was just Green Lantern. Specifically, there was an old Guardian who had made a specific new ring that was outlawed kind of a thing. Like he made it back when he, it was a single ring that could channel all the emotions, not just a not just a mm. one ring per emotion, and they were like, No, it's too powerful. And that was the thing that came back. As opposed to I don't know, like, you know, Sinestro again or like mm. the man the Manhunters. I think the closest the closest thing that was ever like, you know, a thing from the past, um, was the Manhunters. It's very rare. Like I think in Super Suns we saw like a Mazo return. Once you figure out how to destroy a Mezo, he really shouldn't be that big of a threat. Um, but it's it's very rare, you're right, that a, an ancient or familiar threat appears. Because also, the idea of like the Sphinx and the Egyptian pyramids or something like that being uh, secretly important, we've kind of stopped caring about. Mm -hmm. We would rather we would rather make stuff up than try and find a way for our own history to be interesting. I think that well has been uh, successfully, you know, dried up for a lot of writers. Mm -hmm.
0: And that's about all that I've got. Shall we transition over to recommendations? Yeah. Um,
1: I was watching uh, the old Batman bruce tim 90s cartoon the other day and i gotta say like there's very rarely a cartoon that has that level of noir and also like really interesting um children's show aesthetic and marries them very well but also in a way that adults can enjoy um if you've never watched the old 90s batman the animated series you really should um I believe it's on Amazon Prime, and if you're looking for like a, a deep dive, I mean, it's also on the DC Universe if you have that. Um, but if you're looking like in for a really big deep dive into the actual episodes themselves, Arkham City Sessions or the Arkham Asylum Sessions uh, with Doctor Andrea Letimendi are really fascinating. Um, I gotta find the the actual correct name here uh, because it's a podcast where they literally go episode for episode. And they talk about like the psychological aspects of it and also the plot. They kind of do what we do, except they're a lot more intelligent about it. And it is a it's a really fun. It's just called the Arkham Sessions, um, and it's a great it's a great podcast. I used to listen to it all the time, and it just kind of fell off of it. But I want to start listening to it again. But I would I would recommend both the Arkham Sessions podcast as a companion to watching the old '90s Bruce Tim, uh, Batman the Animated Series.
0: Nice,
1: yeah. I've honestly, it's been rather
0: impressive. Some of the podcasts that I've dropped off of recently. Uh, the moment that I stopped playing paradox games almost exclusively, <laughs> uh, it turns out I was I was getting a lot of podcast listening in by having something that I could have turn my brain off for. There you go. All right, on my end, um, I've got a mobile game that. I've just been playing a lot of recently called night of the full moon. So this one's a little interesting. It's a roguelike deck builder card game. Uh, So just, okay. Normal uh, roguelike experience of different, different cards available uh, to either uh, buy with the coins that you earn by playing or uh, like different boons one way or another. Like you're, as you progress through, you're building your deck, and it's very heavily designed for combo engines, which I've always enjoyed, but I never, like, I was a magic kid growing up, but I didn't drop money on magic. Uh, and I had friends who would make, like, uh, Migrim decks that were, okay, discard a card and lose two health Four times, like I love those kinds of uh, combo engines, but I never real, I never built those. I never had them, spent the money on that. This gets the experience of having those combo engines, and frankly, the game demanding it of you, and it plays quickly enough. Each run is an hour or less, and it really takes you from okay, starting from a very like bland very vanilla deck to okay i'm choosing the things like i like the feel of building that combo engine uh, and yeah like honestly the one hour per run is a really big selling point because mm. uh, a lot of roguelikes just stretch um,
1: yeah
0: even like i think that's something that like darkest dungeon i think does well at least the bits of Darkest Dungeon that I played, you certainly have the big meta game, but on each individual run is relatively quick compared to a Dom, to uh, Dungeons of Dreadmore, compared to Rogue. Uh, those, uh, what is it, Stone Soup? I think is one of the newer ones. I forget. Uh, I always got turned off by those when I lost and when i lost a run after working on it for like three or four hours this is a little more plug and play and honestly easier which makes a difference Hmm.
1: that's good that's interesting that it's on mobile but that's impressive that it can deliver that kind of an experience from a mobile game too
0: yeah honestly like ui is pretty good the only times it really has issues displaying are first off they don't do a great job of having tooltips expand, mm. and it's pretty clear this isn't this isn't the studio's like first language. Uh, so there are times where stuff will be cut off or tooltips will be a little unclear. And also, if you have a uh, a deck built around draw a bunch of cards, uh, it doesn't do that great. <laughs> it doesn't mm. show like it shows the cards like fanned out and it's just like, well, I cannot see enough of the card
1: to tell which one this is. All right. I think that'll do it for us for this episode. We will see you next time with another silver age series that we are catching up on. But until then we will hopefully find you in good spirits and see you all next time.
0: PC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. Make sure to check out
1: our Twitter and Instagram pages. After our time with the Challengers of the Unknown and Cosmo had ended, we decided to return back to the office. Joanne had said that there was someone there waiting for us, but she wouldn't give her name. When we arrived, a young girl with pigtails was waiting for us. She said her name was Linda Lee.